there's maybe no more important trait in life than resilience because life is so unpredictable and like is that great quote that the only thing that you can control is how you respond um i can't control how, what you're going to say next what's going to happen today what news i'm going to get from family friends anything all i can control is how i respond to a situation and if you build resilience then you develop that ability to respond in a proactive or an efficient way um I've never had resilience in my life. As I said, I ran from everything beforehand and that's what I'm trying to discover now through equipping myself for these like extreme as fuck situations. It's just to learn how to become resilient so that when life turns cool for me, when a family member passes, when a job doesn't go my way, when I lose a partner, I have this armor within my heart and within my brain to be like, all right, you've gotten through something really difficult before. You know what it's like to go through pain. Be resilient here and push through and you'll come to better times. Alrighty, g'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. I'm here with a young Aussie bloke who I feel like I I really relate to. I feel like I can resonate with his story. There is a, whilst we both have very unique stories, there's a common thread that is built off the back of, you know, experiencing our own pain and adversity and using that as a way to drive and to feel this very purpose-driven venture of taking that pain and allowing it to, you know, or using it to serve others, I should say. So I'm here with the the Melbourne man, the Frankston local, Mr. Connor Sahaley. Um, nailed that last name because I asked him just before the show. And you may know him from Instagram as Mood to Move. Um, this fella is tackling a whole bunch of challenges with one very specific one coming up. It is 3,139 pull-ups in the space of 24 hours for mental health. So, g'day, Mr. Connor Sahaley. How are you, brother? I'm good, brother. I'm very glad to be here, mate. Thank you for having me on. Well done on the last name. You um you did it perfectly. Mate, I'm, I'm glad. I'm so inspired by what you're doing. Like, I kind of touched on it just there. I was, I was scrolling through Instagram. I think we'd connected somehow. And I was looking at what you're doing and the path of the last year or so, and all these challenges you've taken on for mental health. And you could sense without having a conversation with you that there was a very personal, very personal story behind all of this, because you are, you're so motivated and driven in this space to serve others and to do good. And it, it felt really relatable. You know, obviously I've taken living with cystic fibrosis and, and for all of the pain and challenges that come with that, I've found purpose in it, found a reason and a way to serve others and to lighten that load for the people who experiences their challenge or experience their challenges within that space. You know, I could see that you've done the same with the mental health movement and I'm just really inspired by that action. And I just thought, you know, I know that he, he would want so much to help other people to raise money, to raise awareness because I've been in those shoes, you know, when I'm doing the 42 for CF marathons and I just had this calling to go, I need to share his story on the show. And so I'm so privileged to have you here. It's an honor and really excited to hear about what's motivated and driven um, this real sense of strong purpose for you in the space. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's been funny. So happy to get into that. So talk to me, um, obviously from Frankston in Melbourne, down on the, um, the peninsula, one of the more beautiful spots, definitely, you know, being on the coast there and the beach, um, it's a little bit more relatable to maybe people who are listening to the show from, from the Wollongong area. Um, I guess it's their Wollongong, um, of, of Melbourne. So how old are you, Connor? 
I'm 23, 23 years old. So yeah, growing up um, my whole life down on the Mornington Peninsula from New Zealand originally. That's where my mum's side of the family are from, but moved over here at a pretty early age and and um, have lived all my life down by the bay. So very grateful for that. We don't get a lot of um, the Wollongong of, of, of Melbourne, but um, it is a beautiful part of the world is the Mornington Peninsula. Definitely is. I spent a year of my life down in Melbourne in 2018. Loved it. Didn't love my situation at the time. I just worked way too much, but it is a beautiful part of the world and always very lucky to get back down there and enjoy some time. And, you know, I guess for you growing up in that area, like I'd love to hear about what your experience of growing up was like. Were you, you know, a driven sort of motivated kid like you are now at 23 or was life a little bit different to what we see yeah, life was very different. So I, I would not describe myself at all as driven growing up. I would say I probably lived the first 21 years of my life or so um, as a very, very insecure person. I ran away from a lot of, um, a lot of struggle. I come from a really good family. Like mum and dad are amazing. I've got two siblings who um, are a couple of years younger than myself, and we've had an amazing relationship growing up. And you know, went to private school, had great friends. Didn't really get a lot of struggle in my early years um mm. and i'm very privileged to be able to say that because i would i would never be unhappy about the fact that i didn't have to go through a struggle but i kind of realized about 18 months ago that i built up no armor to adversity no armor to confrontation um and then when some things kind of hit me in my life that actually caused me a fair bit of pain i had zero coping mechanisms because i'd always had things excuse me i'd always had things given to me um, I come again from a really good family and really good friends and great schooling kind of system. So life was very easy on the Mornington Peninsula. And whilst I'm very grateful for that, um, it kind of didn't teach me anything in terms of what life is really like. And then as a 21 year old, um, when you start going through some adversity and some adult things for the first time, um, it really kind of punched me straight in the face of how the fuck do I deal with this? It's a really good point you make because you know, I'm a, I'm a boxing fan, right? And quite consistently, there is this story within boxing that the best boxers come from the hardest upbringings. They come from, you know, quote unquote, the, the dirt and the challenges of a real hard early life where boxing is the thing that allowed them to survive and thrive. It's the reason that they're, you know, still standing and alive today. It's the thing that got them through hardship. And that's what makes them great because there's this drive that's built when you're in the face of adversity consistently. And whilst that narrative is probably very true for most, it is somewhat of a dangerous narrative because it lends to the fact that if you have not been through hardship early, that you then cannot face hardship later and survive. And so I think the conversation has to then shift to, well, what can we choose to suffer through whilst living privileged lives? that then builds that armor that you spoke about. So when you started to experience this, experience these challenges and these hardships, which we'll come back to more specifically in a little bit, what were like your go-to choices of suffering to start to build what was required to handle those challenges in front of you? My initial reaction when adversity kind of hit me was to run and hide and give up. So the first thing I went through was just, I can't do this. And I'm very open about obviously doing a lot of work in the mental health field uh, about my own battles and with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and um, a lot of those things that a lot of people go through, unfortunately, especially young males. Um, it probably took me about two to three months of pain and struggle and hiding 
um, before I kind of thought, shit, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm on the verge of actually giving up. Um, and so I just kind of started to try and rewind my mind to search for adversity with the thought that if I can put myself in a position that is uncomfortable or deliberate suffering, as I would mm-hmm. kind of call it, uh, maybe I can build up that armor that I spoke about at the very beginning um, and kind of teach myself how to become resilient. So again, living down on the Mornington Peninsula, we've, um, we've got access to ocean all around us. So we're in lockdown in 2021 when I was obviously going through a lot and Melbourne in general just got completely fucked around by lockdowns and everything. Um, I had a beach five kilometers down the road from myself. So I literally just went in there every day and I'd go solo. It was middle of winter as I was doing it. Um, and I hated the idea of doing it, but I'd run from everything else in my life to that point. And I thought it's gotten me nowhere to 21, 22 years of age. Um, I need to start actually trying to find out what I'm made of. So I just do it solo, go on the cold water at 6, 7 a.m. Um, that was pretty much the only thing I would do for the day because I'd spend the rest of the day depressed or upset or hiding away mm. again as we were in lockdown. But cold water and that that pain that cold water brings, um, but then that resilience in it, that it teaches you was kind of the first step of me being like, oh, fuck, okay, you can actually, you can do this. You are actually more capable than you realize. And then it's offset a bunch of, as we've kind of spoken about, challenges and things that I'm putting myself through now. Um, to just, again, try and build that resilience and that armor up as strong as I can. So I'm really curious hearing that. Was there a breakthrough that come from the cold water or was it building a discipline that led to another discipline until you realize that I'm actually starting to build and craft a life that is bringing me out of this suffering um, or the, or out of this pain is probably the more appropriate word and allowing me to see the light at the other end of the tunnel? Yeah, so I, I speak a lot about, for me, the the biggest goal in my life is the goal of constantly evolving. So I try and use that phrase a lot. There's never an end point. There's no finish line to this evolution or this armor that I'm trying to build up. Um, the cold water was the first thing that gave me the confidence and the idea to be like, okay, what else can I chase? I, I feel like I'm starting to master the cold water. I'm starting to become more comfortable in that uncomfortable setting. What can I do next? And for me, my whole life, and everything I do is just about trying to build confidence within myself. Like the money that I've managed to raise and the people that I've hopefully inspired through some of my actions are an amazing byproduct of what I'm trying to do. But first and foremost, my biggest goal is to just make myself happy and find confidence in me because I've lacked it and I've had low self-esteem all my life. Um, and so now it's just challenge after challenge and, and small win by small win. Um, I'm trying to find that confidence. So when you say low self-esteem, is that, do you think that's a byproduct of just not, like you said, experiencing challenge or is that just negative self-talk? Is that, you know, people or friends around you at that time of your life just weren't the right people and you were in the wrong environment? Like, how does that come about? Cause I can understand what you mean because I feel like there are, I was actually chatting to this, uh, chatting to someone about this yesterday. I feel like there are parts of my life where my self-talk is still negative while I'm an extremely positive and happy person I definitely beat myself up way too much about things and I feel like I'm consistently trying to work on that now so where do you think that come from for you yeah it's definitely a combination of all the things you mentioned probably not the best friendship group guys again that maybe would try and tear you down if you got too high rather than actually keeping mm. you up um, definitely a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of expectations that I've put on myself. And I've always been one to 
to dream big, but I never chased up until this last kind of year and a half. I wanted to be the best, you know, NFL player. I wanted to be the best at my sport. And um, I loved the idea of it, but I hated the idea of doing the hard work to get there. And then, you you know, when, you have, when you're inside your own head and you have your own inner demons and they're telling you constantly, you're not fucking good enough. You can't do that. You're not as good as him. Mm. You're not as good as her. Um, you just beat the shit out of yourself. Um, For sure. And so then just trying to rewire some of that self-talk, which is fucking hard. I still struggle with it now. People look at me and like, they say, oh, you're fucking Superman. You can do this many chin-ups or you swum that far. And I'm like, no, I'm just a regular person, the same as anybody else. I'm just trying to become driven with these goals at the moment. Um, but anybody can do what I can do. You just have to kind of go through the, the pain and the, and the push and break through those walls over and over and over again to try and get to that stage. You know what? It's a real, it's, it is a real challenge and, but it, it is so rewarding. And I, I want to give an example, right? My first two marathons that I ran whilst, you know, getting across the finish line felt like a huge accomplishment. The first one I had there were 13 of us that ran it and I had my old man and one of my best mates on a push bike next to me as well. And I was so shattered after about 30 Ks. I felt like I really relied on them lifting me across that finish line. Like for the last 12 Ks, I felt heavily reliant on the support system around me, which I'm very grateful that they were there. And I've got really fond memories and really strong bonds with those people because of that. But then going to the second marathon, like it was a shambles, right? Like I had a really good crew around me, but my body was so sick at the time that like I basically dragged myself across the line. Like it was not a great performance. Now coming into Melbourne this year, like just six weeks ago, I ran Melbourne marathon and I knew I was going to be solo the whole run, right? And I hadn't had the best prep, but I'd had a good last couple of weeks. And I thought, right, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to, actually say and speak into existence this goal of sub four hours and I'm going to give everything I've got and be willing to fail in the pursuit of doing something that's by my standards excellent now I ran by myself the whole way no headphones I spoke to one guy for about five seconds in the middle of the run just to say how you going and the whole time it was just me in my head I never once hit a mental wall I felt so mentally resilient the whole run that I sprinted across the line with a K to go. And when I finished, I literally laid down on my back and had a little cry because there was this sense of incredible achievement, not for the fact that I beat my goal by a couple of minutes, not for the fact that it was my PB, not for the fact that I just finished 42 Ks, but the fact that I'd accomplished that and built the mental resilience to take it on myself. That was the most rewarding thing. Yeah. And it takes, like you said, though, you can you can do all this self-talk in your head, but it actually takes going out, having the experience and testing yourself to get the sense of the win, to, to go, I've just leveled up mentally here and now I'm looking forward to the next challenge. So I love what you've done where you've, you've not only had these thoughts and recognized that this was something you needed to add to your life, that you needed to build this armor, but you're actually doing the work because I think that's where most people miss the bus. Exactly right. Exactly right. People, people love the idea of saying they can do something or thinking they can do something, but very few people actually want to put in the hard work and actually want to test themselves and, and put themselves in a position to test themselves. Like I'm, I'm, I scream my goals these days. There's so many people in life that they, they tell themselves, oh, I want to be able to do this, lose this many kilos or start this in the gym, lift this weight, whatever, but they just keep it in here. 
and they've got no one to hold them accountable. They've got nothing to hold them to some sort of standard. And then if they don't achieve the goal, it's up. No one knows who cares. I, I, I tell my friends my goals as soon as I think of them because mm-hmm. at the very least I've got people in my corner about, hey, Connie, you said you were doing this. What's, what's going on? You didn't get up this morning for the cold water club. You said you were going to do 100 straight days in the water. Where were you? And you hold yourself to some responsibility. And again, you kind of force yourself to be tested. And there's nothing better in life than being tested because it actually gives you a sense of where you are, how you progressed, have you regressed? Are there more mm. things you could have done, you know, things that you could have done better? Um, and I, I just want to search for a constant challenge. And so many people are so afraid to challenge themselves. They love the idea of it, but they're so afraid to actually put themselves out there and do it. And I want to show people that you don't have to be special. You don't have to be physically gifted or I'm, I wasn't mentally gifted. If you want to say I'm some like, you know, some mental juggernaut that I have the mental strength to do these things. I've not been that person for 85 to 90% of my life. But through just repetition of things that I didn't want to do, I'm starting to build a person that other people could look at as inspiring or wanting to be similar to myself. I love that, brother. Talk to me about this first challenge. Like, where did this all start? So I went through a really, really tough breakup when I was 20, was about 22, 21, 22. Um, a girl I'd been with for a long time, five years, and um, I, I wasn't a very good person in that relationship. And I made some pretty terrible errors that just errors in judgment and um, found myself in a really awful position where we're actually separating. Um, and so, as I said, that was kind of the first thing for me where I was like, I've never been through adversity. I had an amazing partner. I had an amazing friends and family. Went through that um, and about two or three months of depression and feeling as low as you possibly could, feeling very alone. Um, I knew one other guy who was just a friend of mine's brother who had done a 24 straight hour walk. So again, we were in lockdown at the time. There was not a lot to do. And I thought, fuck, that's a really, really cool challenge. I wonder if I'd be able to pull myself up to do something like that. Not really with the goal of raising money or anything, but just again, kind of feeling as low as he fucking could and thinking, I just want to feel some sort of sense of accomplishment. I want to feel good Mm. about myself. Um, But my mental state was so low that I actually, again, I'm pretty open about it, but I actually had moments and I said to my friends, I feel like training for this 24 hour walk um, in in a month or so beforehand is going to take up so much energy that I'm going to do the walk. And then I'm actually going to be ready to just take my life and and not be around anymore because I don't think I have the energy to continue, but I'm going to try and do this, leave a bit of a legacy, go out on a high, and then I can't be bothered with the rest of my life because I don't want to do it if this person isn't in my life anymore. Um, so I did about five or six kind of training walks, like 5Ks, 10Ks, 20Ks, um, and then set out to walk from Frankston, which is the top of the morning to the peninsula, down to Sorrento, which is all the way at the bottom, and back again. So 24 straight hours walking. Um, I decided about two weeks beforehand that I was going to try and raise money for a mental health charity because of all the things that I'd been through. Um, and there's a very popular one on the, on the Mornington Peninsula called It's Okay Not To Be Okay, which is started by three sisters who lost their brother to suicide um, about five or six years ago. Um, I, just, I knew their story. I wanted to help people who were probably in similar positions to what I was in at the time, where you genuinely contemplating suicide and the depression seemed so overwhelming. Um, and so I set out to achieve that goal. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life to that point was to walk for I think I started at 12 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and didn't sleep, didn't stop, didn't anything other than walk for 24 straight hours through the winter night. It was middle of July. So 
Um, I think we had about a 14 and a half hour sort of dark period across the night, just with mm. no daylight savings. Um, but then the sense of accomplishment and you get the external validation because you get people telling you how impressive it is and blah, blah. But for me, it was just the, it was the first real moment where I was like, oh, fuck, okay. Like you, that's an impossible goal for so many people. And look what you just put yourself through for 24 hours of pain. I fucking fractured my foot on the walk because of literally just too many steps. Yeah, shit. I think I did That's hectic. 25,000 steps or something like that. Walked Fuck. 11 kilometers. Um, 24 straight hours, no sleep. I packed 16 chicken and spinach wraps for the um, 24 hours and literally just had it on a backpack with me. Had a couple of friends walking in like two or three hour stints. So I was always with somebody um, through the night and just kept going just kept going because i knew i had nothing else to give i wanted that to be the last thing that i kind of ever do was finish this walk and go connor and then that'll be my energy done and i can just kind of sink away into the ground i have so many questions right now i have to ask i've got like three that are just right there so i have to shoot so this this idea and this sense of like this will be the last thing that you leave like this will be your your final message the thing that you leave with the world after you're gone like to me that's su such a confronting thought and that it, it scares me that thought that like you like it's so sad that you can be so low and feel so alone at that time that that feels like your only option but there is this sense in that that you wanting to leave the world with something positive there's this sense that like there's hope yet there's this hope yet that you're not done because you you want to leave the world with something else was the challenge a way to feel like you rectified some of the wrong you'd done and some of the mistakes that you'd made in your relationship in life up until this point or was it like a cry for help almost like without knowing it that like maybe if I do something so good the world will give me a reason to stay Absolutely. I think for me, I, I, I felt very low. I felt as low as you could. So it was like, wow, can I, can I do something positive for myself? Maybe for one other person. Can I inspire one other person who's looking at me and going, well, fuck, he, he's considering suicide or he's considering taking his life. Mm. I'm in that same position, but he's just done something amazing. So maybe I could as well. Um, and I've always wanted to help people. I've, my parents are both, have worked in the sort of medical health field and they have patients and always getting amazing reviews from people. I've grown up wanting to help people, but I didn't even know how to help myself, let alone help others. Yeah. It's just the first instance where I was like, I'm really going to put myself in a position here, which actually might be able to help somebody else whilst I'm trying to help myself. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you get that, you, you get to the end of it and you get all the flowers and you get all the, wow, kind of look at this and you get the self-belief. And then from that point, it just, it takes you on a ride and you can kind of go with it as, as far long as you want. Um, but that was for me, the first moment of like, of teaching myself that there's more to me than just this sad, depressed version. Um, and I actually am capable of achieving some things if I put my mind to it. For sure. Like, and I'm, look, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time to the audience because there's going to be no flow to this. Cause my brain is just throwing questions at me right now that I have to ask. So bear with me. The, the second question I have is it sounds like you're relatively close with your family, right? You've got a lot of respect for your parents. You look up to them. Was there any conversation with them before the walk as to like how you were really feeling? Had you expressed that you were at this lowest of lows and like 
you know, you're at almost this breaking point of not wanting to be here anymore. And cause I can imagine that would be so confronting for them to hear. My, my parents, I love and respect a lot. Um, but talking was not really something we did a lot of. Yeah. I would say they, they, they'd see me cry all the time. They'd see me act and, and obviously very depressed at home. Um, and they were always super supportive. I couldn't, I can't ask for anything more from them, just the personalities that they have, but I, I didn't even really feel comfortable. And I probably felt embarrassed to even admit to feeling that low. I think there was one girl, one friend of mine, um, Chelsea is her name. And she was probably the only person that I actually admitted, Hey, I think I'm pretty ready to finish. Um, once this walk is done and she was just someone that was really kind and, and sweet and there for me. But I felt a level of embarrassment to be so low and be so unhappy, um, which looking back seems so silly. Mm. But I, I wasn't even in a position to have that conversation with my parents. It was that's how kind of low I felt. It was it was even too much to speak about. But in here, it was so overwhelming. And you know, you said it there that like it it sounds silly to say now, but I think so many people would probably feel similar. Like we said before, like when you've lived somewhat like. Even with my health challenges, I've lived the most privileged life, like incredible family, like never went without, you know, went to an amazing school, always felt supported. If I was feeling like, I know that like, I'm so blessed that I've never had any real challenges with my mental health and never any like really scary experiences with it. But I can imagine that if I was in your shoes, I understand and have a lot of empathy for what you're saying. Cause I would think, well, I'm so privileged. How can I communicate that to them without them thinking like, how? Exactly. And that's the, that's the thing from the outside, people would have looked at me and be like, oh, Connor's, Connor's fine. He's got a good life. He's good. He's got a good family, good person, good friendship group. Even now, like people, people will look at me and just assume my life is this perfect thing because of what I've achieved and what I'm, the message I'm promoting. And mm. I go, no, my life, I still am struggling. I'm, I'm still struggling. There's still many, many days where I'm really, really down and pressure on myself and sacrifices I make. And life is just not easy. And it doesn't matter how supported you can be and whatnot. Some people just struggle um, and that is okay. It doesn't mean that you can't do amazing things or pull yourself out of it the same way I'm trying to pull myself out of it. Um, but that's just a part of life. And you have to kind of attack it head on as much as you can rather than let it overwhelm you because otherwise you, can't, mm. you have no hope. So when you finish this first challenge, like 111 kilometers is, I don't, I don't know that people will fully appreciate how challenging that is. Like I've covered some distances, bloody hell. I've never covered anything close to that, nor do I have any rule plans to cover anything close to that in the near future. But you, you obviously finish and have this feeling of elation that you just alluded to before where you're like, I'm capable of so much more than even I had imagined. And you start to, like you said, get the flowers and the respect from people around you. But as anyone who's tackled any big challenge knows, those flowers only last so long before the hype of everything dies down. And, you know, they hear of the next person tackling a big challenge and then all of a sudden life kind of settles again. And when life settles again, was there a crash in emotion for you where you felt like you were coming back in the opposite direction or back to that feeling of loneliness, sadness. And yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. I'd say absolutely. I'd say absolutely. I think it's life is a roller coaster more than anything. And there's, you know, there's some great quotes about nothing bad will last and nothing good will last. 
That's just mm. the way life is. I, I was 10 out of 10. I was feeling top of the world. I completed the walk. And again, you get all the, the um, praise and everything from everyone else. And two weeks later, you're just, you're just a guy. You're just living your own life. You've got your own problems. Everyone's dealing with their own issues. Um, and I crashed again. And I'm very open. I see a psychologist regularly. He was amazing at helping me through that and helping monitor my emotions. Um, the only difference between the low after the walk compared to the low before the walk was that now I had belief and I had, okay. a sense of, I had a sense of, okay, well, you were low once and you got through that. So this feeling again, this will pass, but you need to make it pass. It's not going to pass by itself. You need to do something about it. Um, and then kind of that led into the next challenge, which just led into the next and, and so on. It's really interesting to hear because uh, I'm firstly curious as to whether the psychologist was a part of your life pre-finishing that walk or was that a post-walk decision to go and see a psych? He was, he was, a sl he was about a month pre-walk. So he okay. was, whilst I was in that adversity stage, never beforehand had I seen a psych. Um, he came on just as I was in my darkest moments and then has led me through since. What's the general consensus and conversation with him like on the front of these challenges? Because if, if that's not too personal to ask, because I think, you know, obviously like it's, it's, you know, you've done a few things now. This one is huge and like, it's such a mountain to climb. And, and like you said there, you kind of alluded to the top of one mountain is the bottom of another, as far as our life challenges and pain goes. Do you feel like at some point in time, you're going to get exhausted with chasing challenges and like, does the idea of like, what's the end of the road look like? Does that scare you a little bit still? That's probably the thing I'm finding hardest to deal with at the moment is I said it before, but there is no finish line to this, this chase. Um, and I speak a lot about, as I said, the goal of constantly evolving. And it's like, I have this mindset sometimes of, well, shit, Connie, you just swam 81 kilometers. If you if you're in 2023, you don't do something as big as that where well, you've regressed. And I'm trying to learn that. I'm dealing, I'm speaking with my psych regularly. So I'm last week um, to help me overcome that. But I'm I've gotten a stage where I'm so driven and I'm so persistent to overcome. And I almost am addicted to that feeling of um, of evolving and of of feeling satisfaction in the the pain that I've gone through to achieve something that it's going to get close to becoming pretty detrimental for me. I've experienced it a lot this year with this chase for the three, one, three, nine chin-ups where I've pushed away a lot of people um, and mm. I've pushed away relationships and pushed away drinking and going out and life work, all of these things, because I'm so committed to wanting this goal. Um, and at the same time, there's, I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that other people could find a passion that, is is burning like so strongly that it physically makes me upset if i think about not achieving this goal like i'm mm. so driven to do it and again i never had that in my life most people don't have a goal that they're actually you know so driven that it would hurt them if they don't do it it's a beautiful beautiful thing because it makes you it teaches you to chase and achieve things that you never thought you could have possibly even even imagined um, of course but it also can be very detrimental if you don't really play your cards right and support yourself, surround yourself, sorry, with people that can kind of bring you back in. So 3139, very specific number. What is the meaning behind that? And and how long ago did you decide that this was the next challenge, the next thing to pursue? 
So yeah, this is my this will be my third cha uh, challenge in regards to raising money for mental health. Um, so three one three nine represents the number of suicides that happened within Australia in two thousand and twenty. Um, again, that was the first year that I really went through any adversity, so it has a lot of meaning to me. Um, and twenty twenty one stats went out when I even came up with this idea back in Feb. So I think twenty twenty one stats are three one four four. So technically, an extra five suicides, which I think with the amount of, of growth just within the population is probably a slight decrease overall in percentage of suicides, but still a fucking awful number. Um, mm. And for me, the beautiful thing about this challenge, the 3139 chin-ups, is that everyone asks that same question you kind of just did. Why the fuck are you doing 3139? It's an extremely random number. Um, and I thought to myself for this, this latest challenge, if I just, like, I've never run a marathon. I know people who have run marathons or I know people who have done Ironmans. If I do something of that level of difficulty, which would be fucking for me, I can't run, run a marathon, but it wouldn't have the same catch as someone looking at yep. a post or reading an Instagram post going 3139 chin-ups. It's, it's clickbait almost. And clickbait for me to be like, that's the number of suicides. This is how important mental health is. And I'm just a competitive motherfucker that I want to be able to achieve that. I want to be mm. the guy that did that. But for me it's all about raising awareness and raising money and then supporting the people who might be in the same position Connor was in two years ago, 18 months ago, yeah. where he was ready to give up. And if you can look at me and not think I'm special, but I, I'd rather people look at me and be like, wow, he was fucking broken. And now he's doing that. Now he's setting his standards and his yeah. goals to do that. And he was a broken person, not a, not a Michael Jordan, like some elite athlete. I'm not, I'm none of that. Someone who was very, very low and, and really hated himself. And I'm just trying to overcome. And if I can do that, there's no reason anybody else can't set a goal in February of 2023 and achieve it in December 2023 like I'm trying to do for this year. You know what? Like, I have to give you flowers for even thinking of the idea. Like, I reckon I can do about 3.139. <laughs> like, I, it is such a struggle. Like, I was actually yesterday, I was talking about yours at the gym and I was chatting to a few people at the gym. We were just literally standing around the pull-up bar and they were like talking about how hard pull-ups, chin-ups are. And I was like, it's funny you say that because tomorrow I'm sitting down with a lad from Melbourne who's about to tackle 3,139 in 24 hours. And they were like, how is that even humanly possible? And I'm like, I don't know. I reckon this guy is going to do it. I reckon he's going to get, get it across the line. But as we were sort of chatting about the other day, the biggest challenge for you seems to not be the actual physical pursuit of like muscular fatigue. Whilst that will be a challenge, it's like everything that comes with like your hands being wrapped around the bars for that long. Like, you know, looking at your hands post effort the other day where your hands are like ripped to shreds. I'm like far out. Like there are so many moving parts of this. So what have you learned over the course of the last, what, nine months now? training for this eight months uh 10 yeah about 10 months of so february yeah february 17 i technically announced yep. the idea probably came up with it a week before and i've never been good at chin-ups like i'm tall i'm 190 centimeters um but was skinny as fuck growing up my whole life like 70 kilos 72 kilos like spaghetti arms never been able to do a chin-up i remember i used to get massive anxiety at, like i was playing pretty high level rep footy and we'd have like strength testing days and 
I genuinely get so much anxiety that I can't do a chin up and I would grab the bar and I would just jump. Not even pull myself up, just jump and hope that they would count it as one rep. Um, I'm not yeah. good at chin ups. When I came up with this idea, I did six in one set and that was me done. I could do six chin ups at the start of the year. Um, but I love the idea of doing something impossible. And again, I shouldn't be able to do this. Like I've got long fucking arms. I'm even, you know, look at me now. I'm not like some shredded bloke. You're not going to look at me and think, wow, that bloke just did a thousand chin ups on the weekend. But <laughs> I love, I love the, the pursuit of impossible and just through repetition and repetition and repetition, I've just built up, like started by doing 20 chin ups and then 50 in one set and then a hundred across a 20 minute period and then 200, 300 and built up to 1500 chin ups in 10 hours, 46 minutes. That took me about two months ago. Um, and now I'm going to tackle three, one, three, nine and all the pain and the bleeding and the screaming and the questioning of my own life that I'm going to do across that 24 hour period is so, so daunting, but so, so beautiful because it is going to teach me so fucking much about what I'm capable of mm. and what the human body, the human mind is capable of. Um, like the blood fucking sucks. You think it's easy to grip a chin up bar when you've got hands bleeding 400 reps into a thousand rep set? No, it's not easy, but it's that, that moment of like, hey, fucker, like here we are, like you're in pain. What do you want to do? Do you, want to, it, do you want to quit or do you want to keep going? Is there something about the feeling of immense pain? Because like you've not just selected things that have been, like you just said before, oh, I couldn't run a marathon. I fucking begged to dither because you walked 111 kilometers. Like you've technically you've moved nearly a triple marathon in the space of 24 hours. So I think you are being extremely modest and humble still. However, I look at the the size of these challenges and how monumental they are. The pain and what you experience, the, the euphoria of tackling and completing something or even failing at something that is great, you know, the pursuit of greatness, is it makes you feel alive. Is there something about that addiction to like feeling alive in the process of that? It's, it's the, the thing that's beautiful about pain to me is that it's so tangible. Mm. Um, it's so real. It's, you can't, when you're in pain, there's nothing else that matters. It's just that moment. And it's just that, like, I can go through adversity or, or have a tough conversation with someone, but it's kind of, it's a bit more up in the air. You can't grasp it as easily as the feeling of shit, my hand's bleeding right now. And I have another 400 chin ups to go. Um, that feeling of being in the freezing cold water and like, I'm freezing my fucking ass off right now. This is not fun but push through this next wall, push through this next inner demon saying, get the fuck out, push through that and see how long you can last until the next demon comes in and then push through that and just build and build and build and build and build and don't stop. And just that relentless pursuit is so important to me and pain makes it so real. And as I said, I ran from everything in my life beforehand. I was so, so scared. I never put myself in pain. I, I remember there was one day in playing like Stingray's footy, like tack cut footy, um, or in the training squads at least, and we did a 3K time trial, and I faked I faked that I rolled my ankle within about 400 metres of a 3K run. Um, literally hobbled off, got my ankle strapped, bandaged, but I was so afraid and so scared of the pain that that 3K run and the anxiety of it and the, the stress and the testing myself, pushing myself, I was so scared by that that my mind went just quick, kind of give up. 
and I faked a rolled ankle, took about three weeks off training, was getting treatment for it every week, and there was nothing wrong. But yeah. in my mind, I just didn't want to do it, and so it's, I gave up. It's so interesting how we avoid challenging and vulnerable situations, and we spoke a little bit before we hit record about the power of vulnerability, and I can imagine even just sharing that and sharing real truth and being incredibly vulnerable throughout the course of this journey makes you feel a real sense of, of pride within. Like I know that when I'm extremely vulnerable with someone or I share something that feels incredibly uncomfortable to share and I'm very real and I'm very raw, it is quite euphoric. You feel as like you're really in touch with yourself and like it's a feeling of being really alive I just get this sense that over the course of this last few years, this journey that you're on, this digging deep to pursue tough challenges, this understanding more and more of who you are as a human being and, and what lights the fire, what allows you to live well and feel as though you really are in touch with, you know, your a sense of happiness, a sense of purpose and drive for your life, that the byproduct of this is you're growing so much as a human being and, and not only your ability to inspire other people, but your ability to be like, one of the things I noticed about you straight away is when we're messaging back and forth, you, you can sense in just DMS that you're a kind human being, like everything you say. And just like you're from like the emojis that you send to your general tone in message. I'm like, this is a guy who wants like everybody he in interacts with to feel really good about themselves. Yeah, massively. Like, have you, have you noticed that? Yeah. One of the first things that dad taught me growing up, which I'll always remember is be friends with everyone. Um, mm. Going to school as a four-year-old, like when I started prep, it was, it was like, be friends with the sporty kids, be friends with the, the nerdy kids, be friends with the musical kids, like be friends with everyone. I want to treat everyone with the same kindness that I would hope that they would treat me with. And I want to empower people. I want you to feel good about yourself because I think you're a good person, you know? Mm. Um, I think it's a really beautiful thing. I wish more people had that same mindset again, rather than trying to tear people who are doing well down, pump them up. I tell my friends all the time how fucking impressed I am by them. And they look at me yeah. like, dude, you're doing 3000 chin-ups. Like, how are you impressed by me doing that? And I'm like, no, I, you just ran your first 4Ks. Fucking oath. Like, yeah. it's insane. Like, well done. Because again, we're all evolving at different rates and different... Um, at different stages in life, but we need to be able to pump each other up and kindness is the best way to do that. Yeah. It's such an important message, isn't it? Like this message of we're all running races on different timelines and, you know, we all have different end goals in mind because I find that, you know, I know that, and you would experience this too. The first time that you've done a thousand chin-ups or 1500 chin-ups in a session is probably going to be like a similar feeling of elation to when you complete this challenge because it's just that at that time, it's the milestone in front of you. Like I remember the first time I ran 10 Ks, I thought I was the man. I'm like, I cannot believe I've just run 10 Ks. This is otherworldly. Like I'm an athlete. <laughs> you get so gassed up about it, but it's this feeling that, and then when the community of people around you are building you up on that, it builds this sense of confidence that you're invincible. Yeah. And, and I love that message here. I think is, as human beings who are, are quite often so busy and are in our own little worlds, fighting our own battles, experiencing our own challenges, we've got to remember to be mindful that everyone else around us is living a 
a different but very similar human experience and has many of the same challenges and troubles that you have too. And I think it's why it's so important to open up because we often think that we're so isolated and our challenges are so isolated that others won't understand. We can almost guarantee that there'll be someone living through the adversity that you're living through right now and, and trying to come to grips with it as well. And I think opening up, being vulnerable, but also then being so supportive of people who don't look like they're going through challenges is life-changing. Yeah. It's just that conversation. It's the power of conversation. It's, you know, what compelled me to do this podcast was conversation is powerful. Of course. Yeah. And again, the more vulnerable I am, the more vulnerable the next person can be. And you just create this wave of change, especially for guys like us, like in our mid twenties, early twenties, mm. um, shit like this didn't happen five, 10 years ago, but for sure, creating a wave of guys to be like, Oh fuck. Like, Connor looks like a pretty normal dude and he's vulnerable and Brad's a pretty normal dude and he's, he's vulnerable. So maybe I'll be vulnerable too. And then you just create this sense of safety and there's not the, the anxiety around talking about your feelings and your emotions and shit like that isn't as scary anymore. Like I fucking cried today, cry, literally crying about two hours ago in the car, just because I was so overwhelmed by the idea of this 30 days exactly today that I'll be doing the chin-ups. Mm. Uh, this moment where it's just like, holy fuck, Connor, you've gone through 10 months this is it now. You're in the final month, mate. Like, let's go. Let's dance. And I just actually just broke out in tears. Like, holy shit, this is fucking it. <laughs> but yeah. I would never have admitted I cried when I was 21 or 20 or I wouldn't have told my best mates at school, yeah, I was crying early today. They'd be like, what the fuck do you mean? It's so, it's so true, isn't it? And it's, I think for me, like, probably similar to you without, without particularly trying, I noticed that really until I started this podcast, I was always pretty closed off with my emotions. Like I was, I was a very loving and sort of affectionate guy. Like I would I always hug and like kiss my family. Like I always would hug my mates or, you know, like I'm, I'm that kind of person where I bump in, in the street, like I'll dap you up and have a, have a cuddle and like have a good yarn. And I'm, you know, always loving and affectionate, but I was never really super honest about my feelings or the stuff that I felt was really difficult or the stuff that upset me. Until when I sat down and it used to scare me because like, whilst my family's very affectionate and talk a lot, but like my old man is like kind of being my role model, right? Like I've got a tattoo of Hercules on my arm for my old man. Like the guy that I look up to, like that strong role model, he's jacked. Like I felt like as a kid, I looked at my dad and I'm like, he could do anything. Like put a football in that man's hand and he's the Dalian medalist. Like, put him in a boxing ring, he'll knock Tyson out. Like that's kind of the picture I've painted of my dad in my head. And so I, and I, I've never really ever seen my dad super like emotional. He always done a really good job of like looking strong for us kids. And I remember thinking like, fuck, I can't, I can't be like upset or emotional about these things in life. That is like just little challenges because like, that's not something my old man would do. And I remember the first time that I shared my story, like my living with cystic fibrosis and the challenges of it and how, how truly grateful and supported I was by my family and how grateful I was for them on episode four of the podcast. And I remember recording it and I had to record it like 10 times because I just kept like muffling and bumbling and like crying and like, it was so emotional to film 
And I remember when my family heard it for the first time, I was so nervous. Like I've never been more nervous for anything in my life than my family hearing me talk about my health and all of the challenges I felt with it and like the fears, the anxiety around it, how grateful I was for them. And when they were so emotional, it made me realize that, wow, the power of like my vulnerability here has allowed even my dad to be super emotional about this and us to connect really like we're always like best mates, but like to connect on that level of like emotion vulnerably was just like a breakthrough for me. And now I think, and I'm so blessed that the first time I really got vulnerable about my experiences like that was received well, because then it empowered that. And I wanted to do that more consistently, but I'd encourage anyone where you've shared vulnerably before or been super raw and real and it hasn't been well received is like to try again and to find people that you really trust and feel supported by to be vulnerable with because if it's been been received negatively once it's probably just been around the wrong people yeah i think most people connect well with that so talk to me about like over the course of these you know about to be third challenge in these first two what are some of the experiences that you feel like have really put it into perspective how powerful it is that you're doing things for other people. Like have you had people reach out over the course of, you know, the last year or two and, and share their stories and their journeys and how this stuff has helped them? Yeah. Like a fuckload. And it's really, it's, it's even more daunting sometimes because now, especially now with this third challenge, I feel a responsibility almost. I feel there are people that are like, they have an expectation of you because of other things you've achieved and, because of how vulnerable I am, they're like, yeah, Connor can do this. Connor will do this. And I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out how to do it. Um, <laughs> but there's that expectation that they kind of built up. But like, I get messages every fucking day and it's it's beautiful. I had a woman about a week ago, she sent me um, a text and said, or just like a message on Instagram and said, my nine-year-old son has started doing, he wants to start learning how to do chin-ups because he's seen, like we look at your Instagram stories every day and um, he's like, I want to do what he's doing. So I had another woman um, another mother who sent me a video of her son who'd be seven or eight years old maybe uh, I'm just saying a little video of him saying thank you Connor for doing all these pull-ups for the community like I love you um, that's amazing and yeah it's so cool it's so empowering and you're like holy shit like I'm again I'm just trying to help myself but I'm actually impacting other people there are actually people at home that are watching your Instagram stories and, and things like that and actually taking something out of it so I'm super grateful for all of the support that I get and it's through the roof how many people I have reaching out just saying thank you or just saying like just as simple as thank you for being vulnerable um, is really, really empowering. But then it also adds a fair bit of layer of responsibility and pressure and you go, all right, shit, like there's, there's people that fucking, they're going to watch this and they, they want to see you succeed. So for sure. For sure. Well, mate, I'm so impressed and we're definitely going to make sure that we get some support behind you behind this podcast and in the wake of it all. I want to come to a segment of the podcast, which is a consistent theme now. It's called five questions and five answers. And it's the same five questions and answers um, for most of the guests. And today I want to run through those with you because I think you're going to have some great answers for this stuff. So first question that I always ask is there a book or a podcast, if you could recommend only one to the audience that they should read or listen to? Yep, definitely. Um, I would say a book for me that 
has taught me a lot of things and a person in general who would a lot of i'm sure your listeners would be very familiar with would be david goggins um hence some of the chin up you know chin up challenges swimming challenges and things like that um so his book can't hurt me is one that as weird as it might sound i actually sleep next to the book every single night um and i reread chapter 10 of that book which is him speaking about his chin up challenge where he did 4030 chin ups in about 17 hours and, and held the world record um but his story, I mean, if, if I can be one-tenth of the determined man that he is, I think I'd be very successful in my life. His story um, is similar to mine. He's been through much more hardship than I ever have been and has achieved things that I haven't couldn't even dream of. But his story of starting from rock bottom and feeling like a piece of shit and then actually opening up about your own insecurities and trying to work on it through struggle, through resilience, through learning to overcome is exactly what I try and promote and encompass within my own life. So the mm. book can't hurt me. He's actually got another one coming out. Uh, I'm not sure what date, maybe late this year or early next year. Um, a second book, which I can't wait to read, but just listening to his story, like it's impossible not to want to run through a fucking wall when you read his book. Cause you're like, well, shit, he was, he was a bat. Like he was fucking pathetic. That's his words. Yeah. And now he's maybe the, the toughest motherfucker on the planet. So if he can do that, what's my excuse? 100%. I love that. And it was personally, I listened to it. One of the favorites. Very good. Um, the second question I have is, is there an attribute you've developed or a skill that you're in the process of trying to master that has significantly improved the quality of your life? Um, I think I've used this word quite a few times, but I think resilience. Um, I think resilience is a trait that there's maybe no more important trait in life than resilience because life is so unpredictable. And like, is that great quote that the only thing that you can control is how you respond. Um, I can't control how, what you're going to say next, what's going to happen today, what news I'm going to get from family, friends, anything. All I can control is how I respond to a situation. And if you build resilience, then you develop that ability to respond in a proactive or an efficient way. Um, I've never had resilience in my life. As I said, I ran from everything beforehand and that's what I'm trying to discover now through putting myself through these like extreme as fuck situations is just to learn how to become resilient so that when life turns cruel for me, when a family member passes, when a job doesn't go my way, when I lose a partner, I have this armor within my heart and within my brain to be like, all right, you've gotten through something really difficult before. You know what it's like to go through pain be resilient here and push through and you'll come to better times. Mate, that is so bang on. That there is going to be the trailer for the podcast. Like what you said just there to me resonates so highly. It's this, I don't know if you've heard the Tony Robbins quote, pain is inevitable, suffering is a choice. And I feel like what you just alluded to is like how you choose to suffer builds and develops that attribute of resilience, that trait that allows you to face things in life, knowing full well that you'll still experience the pain, but you are resilient enough to get through it. I think that is the, maybe also the thing that people don't fully understand is that once you, people have this idea that like, oh, once I become like a Goggin style character, or once I start tackling challenges and conquering them like Connor is, then nothing will be painful. Oh, it's always painful. But it's like always. you're just better equipped to deal with it, which is the key. Always. I love it. I love it so much. It's, 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 that's the thing. Pain will always be there. But I would rather go through pain deliberately than pain put on me by something or someone else in my life. 
If like, sure. pain's going to happen regardless, then shit, let's fucking run head first at it. And let's learn how to master or become comfortable with it. Understand what pain looks like. So that the next time when pain hits me in the back of the head, the complete, you know, um, complete like king hit, whatever you want to call it, I'll, I'll be better prepared to kind of keep myself afloat. For sure. The third question I have for you, Connor, is what's the biggest challenge? And I, I sense that there's probably like an answer that it's a common theme um, amongst today's conversation, but what's the biggest challenge you've faced that's required the most growth to overcome? I think, I think for me, the, the physical challenges um, are extremely difficult and to sacrifice and put your body through what I've put myself through across the walk the swim I did and then this chin-up challenge now is so, so difficult. But the biggest challenge for me always just in here, it's just in my head. Um, it's every day I, I ask myself if I'm capable. Every day I ask myself if I can still do this, if I, I'm good enough, if I'm strong enough. And every day I have to try and make that choice or come to that term of like, yes, you are. So for me, the physical stuff is, that's, that's a distraction almost from the bigger issue of me just as a human being within my mind trying to become confident and trying to get to a stage where I actually feel proud of myself for not running away like I used to. That's a challenge that still hits me smack bang between the eyes every single day. Um, and that's by far the biggest thing that I'm trying to still work through despite all the things that I've you know, achieved and money that I've raised and people that I've potentially inspired. Um, I'm still trying to inspire myself and that's my biggest goal. Yeah, it's beautifully said, brother. Um, my fourth question for you is, is there a habit or a ritual that forms a part of your daily routine that you think powers you to have the success in these newfound ventures that you're having? Um, I, I start every single day. I have now for about probably 200 odd days in a row, give or take a couple where I was um, a bit under the weather, but 200 or so odd days in a row of 6am going in the ocean. Um, so again, I'm privileged enough to live within a five minute drive of, of the water. Um, and that's just such a beautiful way to start my day because it sucked for the majority of, of those days, especially in winter in Melbourne is awful. It was eight, nine, 10 degree mornings. There's a couple of one and two degree mornings actually where you're actually warmer in the water. For sure. Outside. Um, but the biggest thing that that's taught me other than resilience is gratitude. And now I can sit by the fire with mum at 6.30 at night while she's just watching the news. And I'm like, fuck, this is beautiful right now. This is actually an unreal feeling just me sitting there with my mum. we're not even talking we're just doing doing our own thing but i think fuck on a 12 hours ago you're in the cold water think how much that sucked and think how good it is now to actually just even right now just be in a comfortable room it's fucking middle of the day mm. on, a, on a wednesday thursday like life is not that bad um and putting yourself through that again that deliberate suffering it teaches you gratitude if i can do that every single day with that discipline um you learn a hell of a lot about yourself now, I hope I'm getting this right. It's a cold water club, right? Correct. And is that open to everyone? It's open invite. So we do uh, 6 a.m. Monday to Friday. And then our kind of big day is 10 a.m. on a Sunday down at, at Frankston at Oliver's Hill um, for all the people from the, the peninsula or Melbourne that are listening. Um, absolute open invite. There's no expectation. There's no judgment. There's no, it's just a bunch of people that want to improve themselves, want to go out of their comfort zone. Um, and want to be a part of something that, you know, you're surrounded by other people who are probably similar to yourself, other people who have suffered, other people who are self-conscious. There's yep. no dressing up, there's no makeup, there's no, you're getting yep. smacked in the face by a wave. Um, you look like an idiot, whatever. It's just part of it. But 
it's absolutely open invite and we've built a fucking amazing community down there of people that yeah that just want to be better well i know that's on instagram so for anyone who's down in that area or stopping by through that area wants to give it a crack definitely hit them up and i'll do the same next time i'm down my last question for you is my favorite question um it's the one that i always get really excited for and it's the question of if you could share one message with the world and encourage them to act on it what would that message be Definitely the message that I would want the world to know is don't be afraid to chase your goals and don't be afraid to fail. Um, you don't have to be Superman. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be gifted. You can have, you know, the, the shit you've been through with your own health concerns growing up, um, adversity I've faced. You don't have to be special to do special things, but you have to believe in yourself enough to actually give it a try. Um, there's a world in which I get to this 3139 chin ups and I fail. I do a thousand in my arm snaps or I tear something in four arm and I'm done. But I'm not afraid of failure. I've worked 10 months to get to this stage where I'm in a position now to just have a fucking crack. And mm. worst case scenario is I fail and you move on from there. But don't be afraid to chase because so many people that suffer mental health battles, in my opinion, are people that don't have purpose. And purpose gives you everything. Purpose has given me a reason to get out of bed, a reason to go to the gym, a reason to eat well, surround myself with good people. I have purpose to achieve a goal of 3139 chin-ups and raise $20,000 plus for charity. And that's just a, per it's not a tangible thing. It's just something in my head I've decided I want to do. Give yourself purpose. We're coming into a new year in 2023. Set out what the fuck do you want to do in, in December of next year? And what can you work mm. for 10 months, 11 months to achieve? Why are you afraid of, of failing? I fucking love that so much, brother. I'm, I'm so inspired by your efforts to not only improve your own life and to inspire yourself, but to serve others in the process. I'm fully behind you. And I think by the time this episode comes out, we will be around 25, 26 days out from your massive challenge. So I want to encourage everyone listening to this to get behind you. I'm going to make sure that your social links are in the show description here in the notes. So people get over there, give him a follow, give the man some love, give him the flowers he deserves in this process. And on this quest, we'll call it a quest because quests are open-ended. Um, like you said, there's no finish line to this incredible life that you're living, man. And yeah, like I said, I'm so inspired by you and I'm behind you. And I feel very honored to have shared your story on the podcast. Thank you, man. I'm very grateful. Um, I love everything that you're doing, mate. And I'm very, as I said, appreciative of you giving me the time to share this this story. And for anyone listening, I just want you to just chase goals. Just don't be afraid of, of failing. And who knows what the fuck you can achieve just because you're in a, a low point in your life right now doesn't mean you can't be doing something incredible in 12 months time. So as I said, I'm very grateful. Donations link is in my, in my Instagram bio. We're trying to raise $20,000 for this mental health charity, which is going to do a lot of work in terms of funding um, psychology sessions for males. Um, we have a lot of merch and things like that that promote the message of it's okay not to be okay just to get that saying out so that people can look at that and actually be like, yeah, fuck, okay, it is all right that I'm going through something. Um, and yeah, I'm very appreciative, my friend. Mate, I'm all behind you. You're a good man. Thanks, Cheers. Appreciate it.